Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Much I Know, the Seed Camp podcast with me, your host, Carlos Espinal, bringing you the inside story from founders, investors, and leading tech voices. Tune in to hear from the people who built businesses and products, scaled globally, failed fantastically, and learned massively. On today's podcast, we're going to bring data to the fore. We're going to be talking about the European Tech Funding Reports, the European Tech Exit Reports of 2017. And to do that, we've brought in one of the premier editorial minds of the European tech scene, Robin Waters. Now, Robin has had a great history in journalism over the years, and uh, and we want to hear his story. But first of all, thanks for joining us, Robin. Thank you, Carlos. Thanks for having me. So maybe you can kick us off with your background, a little bit about what you've done in the past and um, what led to TechEU, which, by the way, full disclosure, I'm an investor in. Yes, and thank you so much for being one of our investors. Um, yes, I'll, I'll give you a, a brief background. Um, I studied marketing, um, so I'm not necessarily a journalist by trade. Uh, I joined a few technology companies here in uh, Belgium, where I live and work uh, in the past, and that's kind of led me to become sort of interested in the whole social media and the new startups, the, the new generation of startups back in 2007, 2008. Um, I started blogging professionally around that time, uh, so 2008. Uh, I joined TechCrunch, which back then was still a very, very small, uh, you know, Silicon Valley-based and U.S.-focused blog uh, to kind of expand their global coverage a little bit. Uh, I ended up staying for four years. So I spent four years writing for TechCrunch.com uh, from Europe and not for TechCrunch Europe, uh, just to be clear. Um, and then because I felt that there was a, a lot more happening in Europe than they were actually, you know, giving the region credit for. Uh, I joined the next web, which is another one of these global tech blogs uh, as European editor to focus a little bit more on the region. Uh, and then finally, about four and a half years ago, started tech.eu uh, really to double down on, you know, what is happening in European tech, what is not happening? Um, how do we measure growth? How do we you know track this evolution? Where is it happening? What are the verticals that are interesting, etc. So kind of to to bring a deep dive to the table uh, when it comes to Europe. Four years, huh? It's been that long. Four and a half years. Can you imagine? Wow. I know. And I know. So, Robin, you've been involved for such a large part of the European tech scene's development that it'd be great to hear your anecdotal view of how that's evolved over the years. Sure. Um, well, first of all, there's been a number of uh, you know great European tech companies way before I started blogging about them. Uh, so just to, to give credit to the fact that you know there's been a few amazing companies and, and innovations coming out of Europe uh, way before I started tracking them. But um, you know, starting in 2008, 2009, when I really started paying attention, um, I think everything has just come, become a lot more uh, professional. The founders have become more professional about the way that they build businesses, the way that they raise funding, the way that they you know, even exit their companies. Uh, event organizers have become more professional in the way that they you know, showcase these technology and innovations to the world. Um, the investors have become more professional. Uh, even the policymakers, I would say, have gone through an evolution of you know, realizing that startups and, and innovation can be really good for you know, the economy and the society as a whole. Um, so everything has just gotten a little bit more serious, which I think was very needed. Um, we still have a long way to go. I think we're still kind of, um, you know, the gap between us and, and US and Asia. Um, you only have to look at the numbers to realize the gap is still there uh, and it's still very, very wide. Um, but if you look at Europe in general and you look at the numbers, you can see everything going up and to the right, um, which is a great evolution, but it's just the beginning mm. from, what the, you know, from my perspective at least. Okay, well, let's look at 
some of the data then since you know what you've been doing to marry with that anecdotal um, view is quantifying everything uh, via the techie uh, platform and you've had some amazing reports over the years which include everything from the state of the industry not only in terms of the european tech industry but also even specific components of it like the virtual reality industry and and other parts of it and you've also tracked uh, exits which is useful for us to know kind of what the maturity of the ecosystem is so maybe let's kick off with the two uh, latest reports that you've put out the first one titled tech eu european tech exit reports 2017 which is available on the tech eu slash shop walk us through what's yes. in that and, and some of the takeaways from that Exactly. Maybe before I dive into the, the specifics of this report, just to clarify, uh, we've been tracking data for about four and a half years now. What we do is we track a lot of deal activities focused um, statistics, like, you know, when a company raises funding, who do they raise from, uh, where are they raising, um, you know, are these investors coming from Europe as well? Are they from the US or Asia? Uh, and then we track when they exit, which means either when they get acquired or they merge with another company or they do an IPO. And lately, we've also been tracking ICOs, which is kind of a, a new evolution uh, that's worth uh, monitoring as well. Um, so we gather all that data and then we make reports, you know, sometimes quarterly, sometimes based on a vertical, sometimes based on a geography. Uh, but the two latest reports are really for the, the whole of 2017. So the full year 2017, uh, both exits and funding is uh, what I'd really like to uh, talk about now, um, so the exits reports is a really interesting one because, as you mentioned very correctly, uh, you can't really track evolution if you can't track the exit activity. Um, not that every company has to be built to eventually get acquired or do an IPO, but it's it's a really, you know, it's a type of measurement that you really need to track evolution uh, in any startup ecosystem. So, uh, 2017 in that regard was actually not a really really good year uh, compared to the three pre previous years that we tracked. Um, in fact, the exit volume actually went down a lot. Uh, 2016 was good for about 117 billion euros of tracked exits. Uh, last year only saw about 610 deals worth 61 billion euros in aggregate. So that's that's a near 50% drop uh, when it comes to vol volume. And it's also a 7% decrease in the number of deals. So from 700 to about 610 deals. So that's, you know, they, not only did it slow down in terms of activity, the overall volume of these exits also went down, you know, 48%, which is huge. Um, so there's a, a number of um, things that you can say about that. One is that a number of really big deals made a huge difference in 2016. And the deals have to be disclosed in size for us to, you know, be ac accurately predicting trends. Um, so that's, that's one thing that's really important is that these mega deals that we have, you know, for example, when ARM gets acquired by SoftBank or, or you know, Tencent buys, um, Supercell or, or whatever, these deals make a huge difference. They screw the numbers uh, in a big way because they're both big deals and disclosed in size. So when you have a couple of big deals that you know you don't know the size of, or it's not disclosed for whatever reason, then obviously that's not going to be reflected in the numbers. So you also always have to take these kind of things with a grain of salt. But I think the trend is really clear. And we've also seen other reports. It's not just tech.eu. Um, we've seen other reports when it comes to you know the acquisition activity and the IPO activity. And it's not looking very stellar. Let's put it that way. Hmm. And if we look at the macro impact of that, so one thing is to say, Look, it's gone down since 2016 and it's not looking stellar. And, you know, there's, there's outliers which affect the data. 
But if we take a step above it and we correlate it with macro trends, what what are the things that you are concluding? So I think we we are seeing kind of an evolution that we saw in the U.S. about three four years ago, which is that a lot of the the bigger companies, the scale ups as we like to call them, uh, are really staying private a lot longer. Um, they're kind of setting their own destiny now, uh, rather than you know being built to flip, uh, as they used to call these companies that were almost created entirely for the purpose of getting acquired or, or to merge with another company. Uh, I think businesses in Europe are now healthier. Uh, they're more sustainable. They're more ambitious. Uh, so they tend to be bigger, but also because they are bigger, they tend to stay private a lot longer and they don't feel the need to you know, either merge with another company in their space or get acquired by a bigger company uh, in their markets. Uh, just to grow. So a lot of them can do this on their own now, which is a really healthy evolution, but it does slow down the the number and the size of the exits that we see. That's a very, very clear evolution. Hmm. So if you put aside the tendencies of the individual companies, how about macro things like uh, corporate uh, initiatives to, to acquire the large companies that can afford to acquire? Uh, because the, the stock market's been going up and to the right even after 2016. So there's something there that is it, what's affecting that to decline prior to the public stock market declining? Is there any other factors? Um, that might be uh, one of the reasons. The other one is that corporates tend to have, um, you know, mechanisms and processes in place that they didn't have to, that they didn't have in the past, which is, you know, how do they work with startups? How do they invest? Do they have their own corporate accelerator or their corporate venture arm? Uh, we're seeing a lot more of this. Well, well it used to be for some big, uh, even tech companies, uh, but just big companies in general used to have either, you know, if we can't build it, we'll buy it. And there was nothing in between. Um, so now they have a lot more options in the way that they work with smaller companies uh, in their space and, and, you know, companies that might eventually disrupt them, um, you know, in, in many ways partner with them, invest in them, uh, or in other ways work with them rather than just, you know, pick up and buy them, uh, which is what it, what it used to be more, more of. So is that, is that what you're seeing in the United States, though? Is that um, mapping with the U.S. or is this like a uniquely European phenomenon? I don't think it's a uniquely European phenomenon. I think Europe has always kind of been on the on the lower side of the spectrum when it comes to exits. Um, I think for you as an investor, that's no surprise. Like most of the acquis acquisitions of uh, European tech companies have historically been American companies uh, simply, you know, buy the companies whole, like 100% of the companies here in Europe. I mean, you have stats on that, right? So of, of that yeah, of report, how, what's the skew of... 2017 exit reports being American, German, UK, or just ag aggregate European? Uh, it doesn't show in the takeaways. I'd have to dive into the full report. But I think if I remember correctly, I think about 28% of uh, all acquisitions of European tech companies are made by, by American companies. And then the second one is like 12%, uh, you know, Germany, <laughs> German companies buying German companies, essentially. Um, so it's a very, very big uh, gap. And increasingly, by the way, we see a lot of uh, Asian companies also, you know, climbing in the, in the rankings, especially Japanese and Chinese companies that are, you know, clearly very acquisitive. Um, they have money. They have, you know, they have all the incentives in the world to buy a lot of talent and to enter new markets quickly and to expand their scope, uh, you know, in a rapid way. And then acquisitions for them make a lot of sense. So I think we'll see a lot more of that. And, and, and Asia will, you know, Japan and China in particular will become number two and three rather than another European country or the UK. If you had to influence policymakers in the UK or, or in Europe to increase the amount of 
uh, exits, first of all, would you, or would you encourage something else? And second of all, if, if you did encourage them, what, what would those, what would those initiatives be based upon what you've seen work elsewhere? Hmm. That's a very tricky question because I, I, I think policymakers tend to have uh, a slightly different view on how the market should and, and could develop than you know people just on the sidelines like journalists and investors like us. Um, but I think you know policymakers used to make a lot of noise about we need to support early stage startups and you know we need to incubate and the thousand flowers blossom etc. Uh, but I think they've kind of come to realize that it's it's much better for them to focus on the companies that are already having traction like the scaling companies the the, the big ones that are getting bigger. Uh, and to, you know, in any way that they can support them, whether it be by actively supporting them or by actively not, you know, removing barriers for them to grow. Um, we've seen a couple of uh, examples in, in France, for example, where the government has blocked acquisitions of, uh, you know, domestic tech companies by by bigger players from the U.S. or Asia, uh, or at least, you know, worked against them, which, you know, it's not a healthy evolution, of course, but I can kind of also see the, the reason for that, um, you know, sometimes it, may, it makes sense to look at it from a antitrust perspective, but also from an IP perspective. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's good that the policymakers are careful about these kind of things, but they shouldn't be blocking them just for out of protectionism, of course. So there's a fine balance between that. So if you were a, a limited partner uh, in a large fund of funds, and uh, in, in you were deciding to invest in European venture. And I know that you're going to be talking about the European Tech Funding Report shortly. Are you basically implying that there is a a big hurdle that the European tech scene needs to overcome in terms of liquidity such that it makes it less appealing than, let's say, other parts of the world? Or are you saying that there are some some structural things that are are being amended as we speak and therefore it, it will go back up into the right or is that there's a shift in value creation and retention i think it will absolutely go come back uh, i mean there's there's no question that because of these companies are staying private longer uh, and that they have their their destiny in their own hands so to speak uh, that also means that at some point they will exit you see spotify has been rumored to go ipo since what, 2014 2015 uh this year it will finally happen right so they filed in december 2017 so that will make an enormous difference on its own and that's just one deal right that's just one one deal that we track that will screw the numbers uh you know to the right mm. uh, in the next report for sure um you have a number of these companies you know, the transferwise the klarna's the adians and th- these are all in the fintech space alone just to you know, clarify uh, that you know these are huge companies at some point they will exit um, they will provide liquidity they'll they'll show the way to for other companies uh, to go back to the you know exit market and uh, the way that they will go public uh, or, or exit will also change um, we've seen Spotify uh, going for a direct listing uh, rather than a, a traditional IPO so that will be interesting for the rest of the world to watch and for other tech companies to follow their leads uh, so yes so it's still looking bright I'm not saying that because this report shows that there was a, a huge drop in investment volume and, and number of deals, that, that it means that we have to worry about anything. I mean, the funding is still going up. The, the quality of the entrepreneurs that I see and the quality of the companies that are scaling is just still you know, incredibly interesting um, on a global scale even. And if I, if I was an LB in a fund, funds, uh, to answer your question specifically, I would very much look at the the later stage uh, gap that we still have. Like, I think companies in Europe in general don't have a lot of problems raising funding 
up to Series B, Series C. Um, beyond that, there's not that many options uh, for them to find a European, a Europe-based investor at least. That's not necessarily a bad thing. You can always look for, for American investors or Asian investors. That doesn't really mean that it's a bad thing, but, but there's definitely a gap when it comes to you know, anything Series C and up. Uh, the late stage uh, capital market definitely leads you know, a, a bit more activity, I think. Well, that, that makes for a good transition point to the funding report then, because it, 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 the two things go hand in hand, and it would be good to, to get your insight into the nuances of, of the state of, of the union, I guess. What, maybe walk us through the, the key takeaway points for the, this latest report. Sure. Um, key takeaway when it comes to funding, it was a massive year. It was a record year. Um, companies have raised, European tech companies have raised about uh, 25 billion euros in 2017 uh, from what we can track. So there's always deals that haven't been disclosed. So the actual number is always higher. Uh, but what we can track is 25 billion euros, which is huge if you look at the fact that this is up 52% compared to 2016. So that's, that's huge. 52.4% in a record year that 2016 already was. We saw that difference in 2017. So that's huge. Um, just to compare, if you compare this with the US or even Southeast Asia and China, uh, the, the number is still pale in comparison with the total amount of annual funding. But if you look at the growth, you know, up 52% in one year, that's just massive in my opinion. Um, and is I that across all different stages or is that mostly in, in specific stages? So that's the other major interesting takeaway from, uh, from my perspective is that absolutely not. Uh, what we can see is that the number of deals actually goes down um, year over year. Not even stagnating, they, they go down, right? 1.7%, which is not huge, but you can see the number of deals across all territories, across all verticals going down. You know, if the if the amount of funding goes up as significantly significantly as it did, and the number of deals goes down, that that leads to only one conclusion: is that the the, the round sizes are getting bigger. Uh, you, you can see sort of a slowdown when it comes to rounds. Uh, you know, from zero to uh, 0.5, even to one million euros, there has really been a significant decline in deals of that size. Even from one to five million uh, euros, that stage that does. You know, those number, the number of deals in that category has been going down quite a bit as well. Um, whenever you look at higher rounds, and this is even the monster rounds, like 100 million, 200 million uh, euros or more in, in, in a single round, uh, those have been going up significantly. So that's, you know, that, that's what causes this, this massive increase in overall funding. Uh, but the fact that the number of deals goes down, it also means that the round sizes are being affected quite, you know, quite significantly. Yeah. And is, is there, is there a glut of, of seed funds at the moment, do you think, or is there is there like a imbalance probably between the proportion of let's say seed funds to Series A funds to Series C funds that that you feel is isn't fully represented in the data, but that you know anecdotally, or uh, yes, so anecdotally I always say this, but I think when it comes to seed, I think there is a bit of saturation uh, in Europe, and and it has been the case for for a number of years already, in my opinion. Um, the number of seed funds combined with you know public funding mechanism, angel investors, crowdfunding, um, you know incubators, accelerators of all sorts, uh, a sort of you know if you have a, a half decent idea and a half decent you know technical skills and you can't raise funding on the seed stage in Europe right now, then you have a big problem. So that's it's almost rare for a company not to be able to raise funding 
uh, at that stage, uh, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But it does mean that at some point you have to kind of climb up the stack and then be, be sure that the gap that, that exists in you know, Series B, Series C and beyond gets filled because otherwise you have a load of companies coming out of these, these stages that don't necessarily have the capacity to grow. Uh, or the capacity to raise funding to grow, at least. Um, so yes, I think there's a bit of saturation. But I also always say that that's not necessarily the case for all of Europe. That's the case in mature ecosystems like you know London and Berlin, uh, even Paris and Stockholm, etc. So that's where you see that evolution. Of course, when it comes to other regions like CEE or or in the Baltics, where you know there's a massive amount of talent. And, and, you know, capable people and, and decent ideas and it's affordable to live and work and, you know, the developers aren't as expensive. But you also need, you know, some capital to kind of, you know, get people started for one and for them to be able to scale beyond the Series E, A and B stage. And then they can go look for, for investors elsewhere. Uh, but you have to, you know, they have to be able to cross that, that chasm, which, you know, that's where you really need the seed stage investors a, a lot more than you need them in the in the mature ecosystems these days. Uh, and I still see new seed funds popping up, um, you know, er every now and then, even in the mature ecosystems. Uh, if they're not specialized in a certain vertical or they don't bring anything unique to the table, I think they'll, they'll have a massive difficulty in establishing themselves, you know, in the long run. Hmm. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense um, in any highly competitive market. Maybe we can dig in a little deeper into the, the Baltics and Balkans and, and Eastern Europe. Um, what what are the unique challenges other than funding that you've seen um, for the region, and and what do you think the future brings for the regions? Um, sure. Um, so taking Baltics and CEE as one as one region, I think the you know the biggest conclusion that you can make is that there is a massive amount of goodwill, talented entrepreneurs, talented technical skills. Universities there, by the way, are top notch when it comes to computer science, uh, software engineering. Uh, there are like a massive amount of people in these region that can and will build exciting companies, you know, not just projects and initiatives, but companies. Um, the problem is always capital. This is a little bit historical. Um, when you look at, when you talk to investors from those regions and you ask them like, why aren't there more funds in, in your region or why don't, don't you have more capacity for co-investment? They always say there aren't enough startups to invest in. You talk to the startups and they always go, there aren't enough seed funds to sustain more startups. So it's a little bit of a catch-22 in that regard. Uh, and this is where I think a government can really play, play a big role. If you have an active government that understands uh, what startups and innovation is all about and what is required to build you know, successful communities and ecosystems, that, that makes a really, really big difference. Uh, I'm not saying these governments should be the ones investing in these startups, but they should be laying the foundation for seed funds and accelerators and, and you know angel investors to band together and, and build professional networks to investing companies. Uh, so they're the ones who should be playing a, a way more active role in translating the talent into sustainable companies. Yeah. Uh, and you know that can raise funding in, in the end. Makes sense. Well I'm gonna do a little bit of pitching on behalf of Techie you here a little bit. But um <laughs> one, one of the things that uh, corporates and funds and even startups can do is engage with TechEU's uh, reports and podcasts um, to get some of the nitty gritty and to show off a little bit. Maybe, Robin, we can maybe share some numbers from some of these two report, these latest two reports um, that could be useful for, for purposes of modeling. Um, I don't know if you have it handy, but do you think you, you might be able to share some average stats of, of like a typical European exit multiple uh, or a typical enterprise value for a European exit 
um, and or sectors that are hottest that might come from your report, just to give people insight into what are the things that that stand out as people are, are sort of crafting their 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 value propositions. It's really interesting that you mentioned uh, the the valuations for the exits because we just worked together with another company uh, called Avolta Partners on another report, where basically they did a lot of research on the 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 exit multiples um, based on our data. So and that's a free report. So hopefully we'll be able to share that link somehow with the with the listeners because um, it's pretty hard to to memorize. <laughs> Um, but uh, but I can share the URL with you afterwards, and maybe you can share on, on Twitter or, or something. But but yeah, that's a very interesting report that looks at multiple specifically. Now, when it comes to our report, and you look at uh, tech exits, you can also deduct a lot of uh, interesting information on 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 categories, on verticals specifically. Uh, so the top verticals, for example, by transaction size in 2017 were transportation. Uh, but that's mostly due to the fact that Mobileye, uh, Israeli tech company, which we include in our research, uh, was acquired by Intel. Uh, next, you had food, uh, which is also quite interesting because it's only due to two major deals, uh, which is HelloFresh and Delivery Hero in Germany going public in 2017. So these were in the food delivery uh, takeaway space. Fintech is number three. And that's very interesting because if you look at the funding report, you will see that Fintech is you know, the, the biggest category in Europe when it comes to funding by a mile. On exits, it's not yet the case. Uh, it might become the case if these companies that I previously mentioned, like Adyen and Klarna, eventually go public. Um, but for now, fintech is really getting a lot of funding, but not seeing the exits that kind of, you know, justify having that much investment going into the space, at least not yet. Um, fourth uh, vertical by transaction size uh, that we saw was gaming which I don't think is much of a surprise given, you know, supercells and the Rovios of this world. Uh, and then the final one was telco. Uh, lots of uh, buyouts and mergers in that space as well in Europe, of course. Uh, not necessarily interesting from a startup perspective, but interesting to note uh, anyway. So those are like the top five verticals that we saw uh, exiting in 2017. And in terms of multiples or in terms of sort of uh, enterprise values, like uh, average exit size, 50 million, 100 million, 500 million, just as a general ballpark? Uh, we're very careful when it comes to average or, or median uh, exit sizes simply because uh, a lot of the, the the major deals are either non-disclosed or they are disclosed, but they screw the numbers to such a degree that it doesn't really make sense to work with an average. I think we have the median um, in the full report, but I can't, by the life of me, I, I can look it up, but I can't remember it. Uh, specifically, and that's I don't the, want to say anything stupid. That's, then. Well, that's the best way to sell the report, right? You got to buy the report <laughs> yeah, to get exactly. the million number. And, and yeah, I mean, there's so much. This is really showing off a little bit, but there's so much information in this report that can cater to anyone who's looking for something very specific. Uh, it's very hard for me to memorize all the numbers uh, because you get different questions from different kinds of uh, people. Um, but I very rarely get asked, like whenever someone buys a report, like, you know, you missed this or you didn't have that data. So so it is pretty complete and pretty ex extensive, uh, especially for the funding and the report ones that we had for 2017. Um, to, to wrap up, um, I want to ask you a question that I get asked a lot, and and it's a, it's a bit of a controversial one, but what is the impact that you think Brexit will have on, on the general uh, European uh, tech industry? Mm. So the more I think about this, and I have thought about this quite a lot, uh, the more I think Brexit is not going to have a significant impact on the UK and or European tech scene. Um, the reason I'm saying this is because I saw a lot of caution and a lot of uh, people 
kind of being uncertain when the vote happened. Um, but that's almost two years ago, right? So since then, I, you kind of track the numbers and you talk to a lot of people. I don't sense that there is a major shift going on, you know, away from from the UK in terms of talent or funding. What I do notice, however, is that Brexit has having a really, really big impact on the UK as a whole, as a society and as an economy. And the way that that is going to reflect back on the tech scene, you know, remains to be seen. And we might see those effects even in five to ten years. Uh, but I think Brexit is, is a horrible thing to, to have happened to both the UK and Europe. Um, I wish it never happened. But it did. I don't think it's going to have as significant an impact as, as many of the doomsayers um, you know, proclaimed or predicted. Um, at least I don't see any big tech companies moving out of uh, London. I don't know if you've seen any. I don't see a lot of people you know, shunning the UK. Um, you know, talented people from all over the world will still be coming to the UK to build their companies or to join uh, scale-ups. I don't think it'll have that much of an impact. Uh, when it comes to investment, of course, we've seen all the you know, all the, the stories about the, the European Investment Fund kind of freezing or at least pausing their investments in the UK. Uh, but eventually this will either restart or it will get replaced by another entity, either the British Business Bank or another organization pumping money back in. Uh, because you can't just stop investing in the UK. I mean, nobody's stupid enough to do that. <laughs> There's so much talent and so much happening there that you know, it'd be silly not to invest. So, yeah, you know, main conclusion, I don't think Brexit is going to have the a major negative impact on the tech scene, but I think it's going to have a major negative impact then on the UK as a society and economy, which is arguably even worse. Mm. So to wrap things up, maybe you can leave us with some thoughts, both for founders and for investors on how to get the most value out of tech EU and, and what kind of stories you're interested in covering. Yes. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk a bit about tech EU. Uh, so tech EU now has you can visit us for free and you can read about you know, startup saving funding. We do some profiles and interviews of really interesting companies. We go to a lot of events and we do reports on you know what the trends are. Uh, but you can also sign up for a registered account. Which is basically, you give us information. It's still free, uh, but you can read some of the in-depth stories that we post on ecosystems, for example, or deep profiles on certain companies or certain verticals. Uh, so that's really worth looking into, uh, signing up for um you and then we have a third category which is basically a paid membership where every week we will send you an overview of all the deals that we tracked you know both funding and exits uh, this is every friday afternoon um, you get discounts on reports uh, you get perks so you get discounts for events for example and you get the full access to all of our content online so that includes like the podcast the newsletter um, the, the news that we post obviously the profiles the interviews so that's uh, that's really where the most value for anyone who's professionally involved in the European tech industry either as a policymaker or an investor even you know academics or or other or other stakeholders uh, might want to look into that okay <laughs> that was it thanks well uh, Robin thanks for joining us uh, it was a pleasure having you and we look forward to seeing the latest report when it comes out Thank you, Carlos. Thank you for the interesting questions and hope to see you soon. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.